Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Bible Wrap-Up. Happy Friday. Uh, <clears throat> still trying to get going this morning. A couple of you may have wondered about my coffee cup. It's kind of an odd-looking coffee cup. I just finished it as the music was rolling. Um, it's, a, it's actually the bottom of a French press. I got involved with um, doing French press with fresh ground coffee a few years back. I don't grind the coffee anymore. It's a little bit of a hassle. I buy it pre-ground, but I still like the pressing action as opposed to using a coffee maker. And so I would press into the bottom here, which is which is, can be used as a cup, but uh, like if you're traveling, if you're camping or something like that. But I would pour it, I would press it into the cup and then pour this into another mug. <clears throat> and being the efficient person that I try to be, I got to the point where I'm like, why, why am I adding this extra step? <clears throat> Excuse me. So I just drink it out of the cup now. Anyway, uh, welcome. We're going to start today in Proverbs 16. We are <clears throat> doing uh, verses 18 to 27. You know, the Proverbs, they seem to be a, the way that they're structured is these little snippets of advice, little snippets. And so um, I think I think next year I definitely want to spend a lot more time in Proverbs. Um, and there are books that you can do too because I think that there's like 31. And so the idea is that you can do one a day and you go through pretty much all of them the entire month. February might be a little bit more difficult, but you can still do it. Um, but today we're just doing, uh, 16, uh, verses 18 through 27. And I'm actually just going to read verse 18 because that's the one that struck me today. Another one might have struck you and that's okay. That's when the Bible speaks to you. That's, that's good. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Now, pride can be stealthfully toxic. Think about it. You start by taking pride in a small accomplishment. Like for me this morning, <laughs> I'm actually proud that I'm doing this right now. I woke up this morning and I'm like, oh, I wish I'd done the readings last night. And here I got to go record this. And uh, it's it's an early morning for me. I got to be at my church at 630 for my men's uh, disciple group meeting. And so I'm recording this at 530 so that this will be actually out and rolling at 715 while I'm actually in the meeting with my men's group. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, <clears throat> wish I had really done this the night before. Sometimes I will do my Fridays the Thursday before. Didn't do it outside of just beginning the reading. It was just too wiped out from a long day. And 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 but I'm, I'm proud of myself for getting up and continuing being obedient and so that's okay i mean but but you gotta watch it and don't be too proud because that's a small accomplishment and then you start taking pride in larger accomplishments and you start i think taking ownership and then then that fills up and feeds your ego it's like i did that and the more you do that the more you separate yourself from god drip by drip by drip before we know it, like I said, we look around and say, hey, I did that. And and where's God? Well, we forget that it was God that provided the blessings of opportunities and talents for us to get here. And and at the very least, we should remember to 
to give thanks. So, so my advice, and I try to, this is what I advise myself, is to try to catch it early. It's fine to be satisfied with a job well done. So it's fine to be satisfied that, hey, I got up and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm being obedient and <clears throat> all of that. But always give thanks for the gifts that allows you to implement them. So for me this morning, the gift that I actually have the equipment and the time to be able to do this and without the pressures of other things in life getting in the way to be able to share this with you as well too hopefully it helps you <clears throat> so we're in new testament we're in x25 is where we pick up the story so king agrippa and his sister bernice i think this is the only time that we ever hear her name and Seems like a little minute detail to put in there, but but why name her now? Maybe it's just to maybe it's just to emphasize that everybody has a name and a purpose. Well, they arrived to visit Paul in, in an auditorium, and this is with great pomp and uh, accompanied by military officers and prominent men of the city. So this is a big deal. And at first, I'm thinking, is like, is this setting up to be a show trial of some sort? But actually, there's not a trial going on. So just hang on a second. Festus explained that since Paul is a Roman citizen, appealed his case to the emperor, Festus was going to send him to Rome and be, therefore, rid of the problem. Not a bad idea, right? Festus really, at least my impression, is that he just doesn't want to deal with this. And he's not willing to put it on the back burner for two years, like... Um, and I can't remember the name, but the previous uh, one did. But he's got an issue with it. He he needs input as to what to specifically charge him with over in Rome. So Paul is allowed to speak in front of Agrippa in his defense. And so I guess the idea being that maybe by Paul speaking, they can figure out what to charge him with. And Paul immediately first invokes Agrippa's expert knowledge of Jewish law, which is, it's good to, to help form a foundation of, of context and something that the king can relate to, but I'm sure it also stroked the king's ego, and that's not a bad way to start a conversation when you're trying to convince someone to, to at the very least, get them in a place, however way you can, where they're more at ease and they're not starting out initially defensive. I think that if you start out a conversation initially defensive, you're less likely to listen and you've already have preconceived opinions about your stance. <clears throat> Paul describes his strict Jewish upbringing and that he is a Pharisee, which he says, quote, is the strictest sect of our religion. He goes on to build on that. Because remember, the Pharisees are the ones who believe in resurrection. And he says, quote, why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? And then he goes on to say, quote, I used to believe that I ought to do, and this is presumably as a, being a proper Pharisee, that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Because he did. And, and he, there are accounts of he was brutal. I mean, we have to remember that when Paul was Saul, 
more known as Saul. Again, not really sure why the name changed. Maybe some of that was like reinventing the brand or something like that. But in any case, he was he was not a nice person to Christians at all. He then describes his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, which I'm not going to recount all of that. We know that, but there is an interesting thing here. Because uh, he's directed, he says he's directed by Jesus to preach to the Gentiles directly, that he received this message from Jesus while on the road, when actually uh, that triggered a memory in me. I'm like, it seems like that there's an awful lot of red lettering here, more so than what Paul received on the road prior. So if you go back to Acts 9, there is a difference. In Acts 9, Paul's on the road and he's directed to go to Ananias' house in Damascus. And Ananias is the one who gets the message from Jesus directly that Paul is to treat, preach to the Gentiles. Whereas here, the way Paul's relating it, he's kind of leaving Ananias out of the story. And it's interesting. Maybe he's just doing it out of efficiency to summarize. I mean, why go down these little rabbit hole details and this and that? The, the, the basic part of it is that, yes, Jesus did tell Paul to do this through Ananias. But it's red-lettered there. And red-lettering seems to indicate that that is a direct, Jesus speaking directly at that time. So even though Paul is reiterating a story, it is written as if Jesus is talking to Paul. I don't know what to make of that. I do know that it, is, it seems to be a difference and something that over time, maybe I'll look into as well. There, there are a lot of these over time I want to look into type things, and I just, I don't write them down. I just kind of file them somewhere in the back of my head, and at some point in time, maybe next year or the year after when I'm reading, I'm like, hey, I remember. I was through this last time. Let me look for a minute and look into this a little bit more. That's how reading the Bible every year builds on itself. Um, all right, I got a little bit away from my notes here. Uh, let me get to the next page. Well, anyway, Paul, uh, <laughs> this is interesting. I say, anyway, Saul says, but actually it should be Paul. So I guess I was really uh, thinking a lot about when, when it was... Uh, when he was Saul. Anyway, Paul says he obeyed and followed the instructions. He sums it up by saying he teaches, quote, nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen. So he's tying his actions to Jewish law and Jewish, Jewish prophecy. Very smart move. We'll pick up more of Paul's defense, I'm sure, tomorrow. Old Testament, we're in 2 Kings 23-29. We've got a lot of this back and forth between King here, king ruled, king died. The rest of the king's history is written in the book of this king, Washerns and Repeat. And really, today's readings is a lot of that ping ponging back and forth. So I will summarize this ping ponging for you. Isaiah ruled Judah 52 years, beginning when he was 16. He did what was pleasing the Lord's sight and did, but did not destroy the pagan shrines. We've heard that statement a few times. Did not do everything. And I think that that's in this to mean that his and others' faith was not pure. I think that's an important point. The Lord struck him with leprosy and he lived in isolation until he died. Whether or not he was struck with leprosy because his faith wasn't pure, I don't know. You can almost make that stretch assumption. 
I didn't read that deep into it. Again, this part of like Kings, it, it really kind of foggy because it's it's not telling stories it's reiterating history it's kind of like an accounting of like who was king and when and really who was king when how they got there and whether or not they were good or evil that's really what we're in right now so his son jotham become king became king meanwhile zechariah ruled six months only and so this is let me this would be in judah so <laughs> He had a flip-flop, so we're flip-flopped out of Judah. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. And Shalom, son of Jabesh, assassinated him in public and became king. Meanwhile, here's this back and forth. What I put down here, point of view. Let me just step back for a second. You ever read a novel and you're in someone's head and you're viewing the stuff from their head, their point of view or POV? One of the in writing novels is that you cannot hop point of view um, advice. The best uh, uh, methodology for doing that is you stay in the same person's head and then if you want to switch, you switch chapter. And that way you don't confuse the reader. Because just think about it. It can be very confusing if you and, and, and you there's a lot of self-publishing out there and those who are very immature in their in their discipline of fiction writing will hop heads i call it repeatedly and that's that's the mark of someone who is who has not come close to refining their craft not that i have but my i think my first novel i did a lot of that pov head hopping and um I, i've learned from it i haven't written a fiction in years and i have a desire to get back to it if i can ever find time that's a whole other story i won't go down that path uh shalom ruled over israel only one month and uh, mehabem son of gadi assassinated him and became king a lot of assassinations going on he killed the entire population of tapul and surrounding countryside because the citizens refused to surrender the town he ruled over israel 10 years and did what was evil in the lord's sight he extorted money from the rich in Israel to pay King Tiglath Pileser of Assyria not to attack further. He died, and his son Pekahiah became king of Israel, ruling over two years and doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. A lot of kings doing evil in Israel, and a lot still doing good in the sight of the Lord in Judah. That's a takeaway, too, as you'll see later on. Um, Pekah, commander of Pekahiah's army assassinated him another assassination became king he reigned over israel 20 years and did evil on the lord's sight then king tiglath pileser of assyria attacked again captured several towns i guess there wasn't enough left tribute money or whatever tax money to pay over to stave off another attack he is assassinated by Hos hoshia son of elah who then became king meanwhile Jothan, son of Uzziah, ruled over Judah for 16 years and did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, as we said before. that, But he also did not destroy the pagan shrines. He died, and his son Ahaz became king. A lot of ping-ponging back and forth. We'll pick it up again tomorrow. Walk with the Lord, or walk by the Spirit of the Lord today. Hope you have a wonderful day.